Welcome to the Mid-Market CFO Circle podcast powered by High Radius. I'm your host, Madhurima Gupta. We hear you, Mid-Market CFOs, and we've got your back. Every Thursday, we bring you CFO Circle podcast with your peers, and we discuss the challenges you face and how you can leverage emerging technology to solve them. Today, uh, we want to talk about how CFOs can prepare their offices for inflation. U.S. inflation surged to a new four-decade high of 8.5 in March uh, from the same month, uh, same month a year ago, driven by skyrocketing energy and food cost supply constraints and strong consumer demand. High inflation is the downside of booming growth as the economy bounces back from COVID-19. 71% of SMB owners said that inflation has had a negative impact on their businesses in the past three months already. So with that being said, business leaders today should now start thinking about what business impacts of heightened inflation might look like for them. But how can CFOs steer through this high inflation? That's exactly what we are going to talk about today. And for that, we have Olivia Roska on CFO Circle podcast. Hi, Olivia. Welcome to the show. Hi, Manhurima. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to, to be here. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, and before we get started with our questions, I would like to go ahead and introduce Olivia for our listeners. Olivia Roska comes with 16 years of experience in order to cash process, obtained in top multinational SSCs, BPOs and central finance organizations across multiple industries and geographies. She's currently the global process owner for credit collections and dispute management. She has led end-to-end O2C transformation journeys, driven tool customizations and deployments, and managed and supported operations team, and advocated change across both local markets and central finance organizations. She has successfully managed to build strong multicultural teams, delivered constant measurable results, and create a vast network of business relationships. So on that particular elaborate and glorious uh, introduction, Olivia, I wanted to understand how has your journey been so far? What were the highlights that you'd like to share with our listeners? Thank you for, for that introduction. Uh, when you hear it from, uh, you know, externally, it, it sounds like I've been very busy, <laughs> uh, which I guess it is true. Um, yes, over the past 16 years, I've been, uh, I've been busy both traveling in uh, different organizations and uh, landscapes and also um, expanding, let's say, my scope um, of work. So I've worked in uh, the SSC, I've worked um, in a BPO, I've worked as a consultant, I've worked as a global process owner right now, like you said. I think the challenges over time um, are similar, their gravity increases or decreases with the outlier that in most recent years, uh, technology and sustainability um, are extremely important. So making sure that um, you have the right technology to uh, push you forward and to give you the opportunity not to lay off people, but to reskill people. And I think if you look at the Nordics, a lot of companies, this is what they're doing. They're uh, reinvesting. If you've heard of the uh, universal basic income, for example, mm -hmm. there a lot of countries are testing it not to allow people to not do anything, but to allow people 
to reskill themselves. But you can't reskill people if you still need them. And you still need them because you haven't adopted the right technology. And because this trend is increasing, this technology also becomes more affordable. So that's a good thing. There are multiple companies on the market uh, offering various solutions. Um, a lot of companies are open to customization, which is important because businesses are very different. In Europe alone, you can see how much um, culture and um, you know preferences, historical preferences and um, customer behavior impacts uh, these tools. And also sustainability. Um, we keep talking about we don't have a second planet um, and that's, that's extremely uh, true. So I think investing in these technologies and uh, reskilling people to do uh, more value added jobs, uh, it's, it's what I've seen in recent years and what I also want to focus on uh, going forward, to be honest. Thanks for sharing what your journey has been like and specifically highlighting that when companies are covering gaps in their processes with automation, they should look at it from the perspective of letting their workforce have time to reskill themselves and even retain them with that particular action in place of just looking at ways to, uh, you know, look at it from a layoff standpoint. Now, having discussed what your journey has been, um, what do you think or how do you think inflation is going to impact businesses, especially the mid-market companies that are recovering from pandemic? First of all, um, I think it would be uh, presumptuous, presumptuous of us to think that uh, COVID is over. <laughs> uh, if you look, um, I think today or yesterday, the CDC already placed two countries on the high-risk high COVID risk, one of them being uh, the Dominican Republic, which is uh, highly preferred by uh, American tourists. So I don't think COVID is over yet. <laughs> I yeah. do think, um, and we'll talk later about that, that we should uh, revisit our approach to COVID. But uh, going back to the impact on mid-market companies or small and medium uh, enterprises, Higher costs are obvious. Shipping rate increases. Uh, President Biden actually talked about that, about how the nine big uh, shipping companies have increased prices. Uh, and that, I don't think that any presidential decree can uh, curb a free market, right? So he will not be able to um, limit their uh, asking prices, let's say. Um, raw materials. Um, are also the cost of raw materials is increasing. Uh, and that's because energy prices are increasing. Um, I think right now we're at um, over $6 a gallon. Um, so, <laughs> and supply chain disruptions will continue. Um, the war in Ukraine is nowhere near um, over. And uh, China's zero COVID uh, policy, which is in my opinion, slightly unrealistic, will also affect supply chain. Um, so, and all of this will drive higher labor costs, right? People need uh, money and a higher cost of human capital. Uh, people need to buy the, the products, even if they're only necessary. And you can see that right now in the US, there are two job openings for every unemployed person, right? So, so the job openings are double 
the the number of unemployed um well officially registered unemployed uh, people so um add the higher interest rates and i think it's going to be a difficult time for small and medium enterprises or mid-market but there's one thing that i would like to put out there and um i think this is an interesting concept private equity firms and how small and medium companies should collaborate with private equity firms right now investors and there are a lot of um investors out there um all the funds and uh, people that do have a, a sizable uh, amount of money to invest. Uh, right now, very until now, very safe investments were um, government bonds, uh, public equities. However, um, right now, because, um, well, the environment is unsure, uh, I think a lot of these investors will um, look again at private um, markets. So why private equity firms? Because apart from giving you the temporary capital that you need, they can also provide you with the advice on where to put that capital, where to invest it, right? How to um, acquire the proper technology to see you through this period, how to perhaps maybe uh, streamline or reorganize your um, structures, right? Your employees. I think uh, that's an opportunity that small and medium enterprises or mid-market uh, customers should look into. Um, I've actually seen a survey where uh, there is a huge increase in um, interest and the private equity market is estimating that they will have a, a huge year um, going forward. So I think that's, that's something that they should look into. And like you rightly pointed out, um, you know, pandemic is still there. It's not going to go away that soon. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, with all that's already there and inflation happening, um, you know, it means that if we're talking about receivables only or receivables mm -hmm. first, any company's receivables are decreasing in value at the same rate as if you were paying extra interest, making mm -hmm. it essential to take corrective measures. Uh, what mm -hmm. would you say would these measures be? What I've seen uh, and what I, I'll tell you what I would advise and what I wouldn't advise. I would uh, not necessarily advise more, let's say, aggressive collections. What I would advise and what I haven't seen in a lot of companies is on-time collections. So <laughs> on-time means that you need to focus on getting that money that you're owed when you are owed, right? Um, and that means making sure you focus on the actual bad payers, right? It's not worth uh, focusing on uh, your customers who will pay on the due date um, or customers who are not interested in paying in advance ever, but make sure you identify who systemically pays late. Um, so on-time collections, uh, focusing on historically proven bad payers, um, also, make sure you have um, a contact with that customer in advance of the invoice being due. And what I meant by not aggressive, don't ask them before the invoice is due uh, if they'll pay it. Make sure, however, that you eliminate their excuses. Make sure their invoice is received and they've confirmed it and make sure that it's um, correct, right? Because we still see a lot of companies where invoice accuracy is faulty 
extremely faulty. So, and that you have all the documentation because a lot of manufacturing companies also need to provide additional documentation together with the invoice, goods receipt, uh, proof of service and so on. So make sure you have your, let's say internal kitchen in order before you can ask the customer for money. Also, um, the bad payers that I was talking about, apart from timely contacting them and a focus on them, uh, set up through your policy alternative payment methods, uh, upfront payments, so advance payments. It can be a part of the amount. It can be the full amount, depending on the gravity of the bad payer. And also payment plans. Payment plans are um, a good a good method, and I've um, tested it in the past, and it worked. Um, so this is what I would recommend. What I wouldn't recommend is aggressive collections. Uh, with the wrong focus, uh, especially because customers tend to remember that. So you do want to maintain your customer base, um, especially now if you look uh, at least in the UK and I think soon in the US as well. Uh, I believe there will be regulation introduced around aggressive collections. Um, so, um, in from, and this means from the time of contacting to you know the way you're contacting customers and uh, the language that you're allowed to use. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, just a side question to that. How mm -hmm. would aggressive collection strategy be different from a proactive collection strategy? How would you say that? What's the difference? Again? Yeah, I would say aggressive collections is um, contacting a customer uh, that you know is a good payer, right? Or that you don't have information. It's a new customer before the due date and asking for that payment. I think that would be perceived as aggressive. Another aggressive collection uh, is uh, sending official dunning letters. Um, usually, depending on the industry and so on, you have uh, between three and five letters. Uh, anything more, I think it's aggressive. And sending them within less than two weeks, I believe is also uh, aggressive without any other sort of contact and it depends on the scale of the customer the uh, what method you use and so on but that's what i would describe as aggressive collections so you know continuing this discussion on accounts receivable so let's say on one side a company's uh, cfo or c-suite members know that uh, their accounts receivable is being hammered and at the same time their customers are also struggling to live up to their financial commitments now, this becomes a very deadly combination. So what can businesses do to prevent uh, bad debt write-offs? And how can CFO's office do this while also holding on to their relationships with the customers? So I think I've touched upon some of these things a little earlier, but I'll, I'll reiterate it. First of all, um, issue your invoices correctly and even more importantly, as soon as possible. And this is extremely um, important in um, the services business, right? Where we know that it takes a long time to invoice services because you need to um, get the backup documentation of maybe a time and material um, a sheet, something like that. But think about it like this, the longer it takes you to invoice a customer, the longer the period where that customer's financial situation can change. So if I made a contract with you as a customer today to purchase something worth, I don't know, 50,000, 
k us dollars in three months uh, my liquidity may be a little different and with the inflation and everything i might not have that fifty thousand. maybe my customers were not able to provide me uh, those funds maybe my ar didn't come through as a payment so make sure you invoice not only correctly but as soon as possible uh, so that you um, give the customer um, as little time as possible to um, have their financial situation changed. Um, that's one. Uh, and another thing, what I touched upon earlier is ask for more upfront payments or advanced payments, um, especially if you have um, historical bad payers. So you know that customer doesn't ask for an advanced payment. Uh, and it will also help you with uh, the your costs. If you get half of the, the amount of, let's say, an installation or something, then it will help you at least with the uh, cost of the materials, right, that you need to, to purchase. So, and then make payment plans. Think of it like this. You may not get the entire amount, but it's still important if you get half of it, right? So you may you be ready to uh, agree to a payment plan and maybe the customer will, will only respect uh, three out of four installments or two out of four, but you'll still get half the money. It's better than not getting anything at all, right? So okay. encourage payment plans. Another thing, which I think is maybe unusual, uh, try and send your customers or your customer base surveys about how they are perceiving uh, this period and how this inflation and uh, this situation is impacting their business. You'll get an idea of how bad things are for them. Uh, and it will give you a chance to plan ahead. If you, uh, and not just your actual customers, right? But what your, tar your target customers are. It will give you an idea of how you need to plan how your customers see the situation. So I think that's also um, a future view um, <laughs> that you could use. Um, and another thing is improve your customer service or your customer satisfaction. And the easiest way in today's world is of course to use social media. <laughs> Apart from the obvious benefit of giving you visibility and probably more business, it will give the customers the opportunity to express their feelings towards your company, your services, your products, and so on. You'll get an idea of what you need to improve. I personally uh, went on a customer's um, Facebook page um, a few days ago uh, because they had a commercial on TV, which was, um, let's say, discriminatory, right? And I expressed my opinion. So you'll get to know, um, you'll get a, let's say, live feed into customers' opinions of you. What And, and you know that um, someone will be 10 times more likely to report on a negative experience than a positive one. So I think that is a very important source of feedback that you need to tap into and make the necessary corrections. And, um, you know, um, Olivia, how important is it to maintain cash flow? and um, take uh, credit decisions uh, on data-driven, um, you know, insights, specifically given inflation? Um, I think in times like the, these, uh, it's important that you update your credit policies. 
Uh, you don't need a huge revamp of your credit policies, but what I do, for for example, um, a lot of, and for this, first of all, you need to have some sort of credit policy, uh, which I strongly recommend for <laughs> most businesses. Um, I would revise the um, lower threshold um, or the contract amount for which a credit check is needed. Usually, if you have a contract for only 5K, uh, you would say, okay, the amount is too small and um, I wouldn't, the effort uh, put into making a credit check uh, is not worth uh, this amount. However, uh, touching on what we discussed earlier, if you have the right tool that will help you automate these credit checks, you can uh, produce credit checks even for lower amounts, right? Because the effort, the human effort involved in that would not be that big. That's how you combine technology and uh, the information and the databases that exist out there to expand your reach. Also, I would also revise the maximum credit limits that I am giving to my customers. So if until now I was allowing, um, you know, just like a credit card, uh, three or four times their uh, profit and so on, I would revise that for a um, limited amount of time. Perhaps even increase for bad payers um the frequency of the credit review so if until now i would review bad payers every uh three months right now perhaps maybe i will do it every two months again so that you don't increase your labor costs with this get the proper tool to help you do that right to automate that and you only at the end uh, with the proper tool you just need to uh, approve or reject the proposed credit limit so and another thing that I would do is change the discount um, that you offer on advanced payments or upfront payments. A lot of companies um, have payment terms that look uh, something like a 2% discount if you pay 10 days in advance. Uh, lower that 2%. Uh, a lot of customers will still take it, majority of them, over 90%, but it will not uh, be such a big impact on you or increase the number of days when you're um, giving it. Man maintain the 2%, but put it 2% um, if you pay 15 or 20 days in advance instead of just 10. Uh, you know, um, Olivia, there's one observation that I had. We did a survey earlier this year with uh -huh. about 150 CFOs uh, where we talked to them and asked them over a survey, what is their choice in terms of automation of different accounts receivable processes? While invoice okay. collections automation was at the top of the pyramid mm -hmm. in number or the percentage of CFOs and C-suite members that they wanted to automate these processes, credit was much lower. Why do you think, uh, or in your experience, why do you feel that CFOs often push credits, uh, credit risk mitigations and automation of that processes uh, to the back burner? I think a lot of it has to do with um, availability of information. So companies that provide proper information on um, um, customers are crucial. Uh, even if it's just payment behavior, uh, I think another reason is that even for their existing customer base, a lot of companies don't keep proper records of their customer behavior. And again, this is why um, a tool is very important. 
because you can't measure payment behavior if you don't keep a, a database with their um, track record, right? If they had, let's say, two orders in the past five years, you still want to know how they paid. So if you think about it, actually, both of them are availability of information. One from internal sources, so you're, you, you yourself as a company don't keep track of uh, <laughs> the payment behavior of your customer base. And the second one is uh, lack of information from external sources. Or let's say, um, because DNB and so on, while they do cover um, high value customers, the low value customers are often not necessarily uh, covered. So I think that's one thing, uh, lack, of, uh, lack of information. And the second one um, I think is that a lot of companies are still stuck in a reactive um, environment. Um, I like to think, for example, that collections is a redundant process. <laughs> collections shouldn't exist. It's a, it's a defect of the entire order to cash cycle, right? If customers pay on time, you don't need collections. You don't. <laughs> uh, if you invoice correctly, you don't need dispute management. You literally don't. So they are defects of the process. Uh, and that's why um, people have a, that's why I say people have a reactive approach to it, right? Mm -hmm. they, they think about how to solve the effect instead of the cause a lot mm -hmm. of time. Mm -hmm. I, I think those are the two major. <laughs> that's a very fresh perspective, even for me, you know, looking at collections and dispute management as defect. And you pretty rightly put it there. It's happening because another process is not properly functioning. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm grateful for the defect because it's been my bread and butter. But it's a defect. So my next question um, is around, um, you know, what are some of the AR practices that smart finance leaders should be implementing to ensure that their business is armored to manage however the future unfolds, you know, whether the pandemic is over or not, um, inflation mm -hmm. maybe growing at a much higher rate or maybe even reducing hopefully so what would you say should uh, the practices be that smart finance leaders follow well I think um, I have a mantra for that <laughs> um, I think uh, new technology and reskilling is what will help you through I'm not going to lie not everyone will make it through but um, investing in the right technology and um, using uh, those benefits to reskill your talent because like I said earlier talent is going to be more and more expensive it will be more expensive uh, as a process and also as a resource to hire someone new than to mm -hmm. maintain and reskill your current workforce mm -hmm. So in order to do that and make sure you use them for more value added activities, you need to um, automate or introduce technology for non-value added tasks. So that's in short what I would say they would need to, to focus on. Um, it might be that research and development or uh, investment or expanding might take a back burner for now because, well, <laughs> this is a, a period of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And um, I do believe that it will take a little bit. Uh, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. So that gets me to the last question of this particular session, Olivia. 
So on Wall Street, uh, more than half of the investments and economic professionals think that Fed's attempt to combat inflation by raising interest rates and running off balance sheets will eventually cause a recession. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think a recession is going to come. Um, I, however, I think we can be in control. Uh, if the right things happen, um, it will not be very severe or it won't be in terms of what we saw in 2008, uh, 2009. And I'll, I'll expand on, on both of these. So it will definitely come because, um, well, the situation in Ukraine and the impact on the supply chain overall does not seem to uh, improve. Um, even worse, I think it, uh, it negatively impacts a lot of the um, developing economies uh, in uh, Africa, Southeast Asia, and so on. Um, China's zero COVID policy, like I said earlier, is impacting supply chain and the possibility that COVID might make a comeback uh, starting uh, these months, especially uh, because we've usually seen uh, new waves come up once, um, you know, seasons change, um, especially in Europe, for example, and in America, where there is a seasonal change between August, September and so on. American exports will be impacted because other parts of the world, and right now, by the way, 60% of um, um, world economies are considered to be in debt distress. So 60%, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. So American uh, exports will be impacted. Um, now, the good part is that um, customers after the pandemic and after all of the stimulus bills that were introduced, uh, there is an influx of cash, right? Both uh, in consumers, because while well, the restriction on movement and so on um, and, and everything did, and it caused people, not just the restriction of movement, but the pandemic itself caused people to be more cautious with their finances. So a lot of people do have an influx of cash and uh, the stimulus bills, especially for um, businesses, uh, have also provided them with an influx of cash. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm saying it's not that severe. However, <laughs> the outlier here that we need to think of is, uh, at least in the US, is the high partisan politics that we have, right? And we have to remember that in two years, uh, we're gonna have presidential elections as well. Mm -hmm. It's highly likely that uh, Congress will shift after the November elections and it will be uh, controlled by uh, the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. Now, if uh, a recession comes in uh, the near future, the next six to nine months, I seriously doubt that the Republican Party will uh, support any kind of financial aid or bailout. Why? because it would also uh, mean uh, supporting a democratic uh, president, um, uh, incumbent president, right? So, and well, historically, Republicans are not known for spending money. They are known for um, saving money. There is <laughs> uh, there's there's actually, a, let's say, a legend that Democrats spend money and Republicans save them. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't think that Republicans are going to make it easy for uh, Joe Biden or any other Republic, uh, Democratic candidate to be reelected. So um, while 
a solution to this would be, you know, lower, low, lower tariffs and more competition. What I think we will see is uh, more um, populism, uh, more protectionism, maybe even a uh, comeback of, um, let's say, previous presidential candidates. <laughs> While again, we have uh, the basis for a, a very mild or not such a severe uh, recession, I think it's not going to be that easy. <laughs> so while uh, we, like I said, we might have a mild recession, the impact uh, that all of this uh, is going to have on the rest of the world. Cool. Uh, I think uh, on that note, uh, with your uh, opinions on whether the economy uh, is headed towards recession or not, I'd like to wrap up this session, Olivia. So thank you so much for taking time and sharing. Thank you as well. And I look forward to having you again on CFO Circle sometime soon. And for our listeners out there, thank you for taking time as well and listening in. I hope that this particular session helped you.